Sabbath. But anyway, this 
little sentence is interesting because women did not own property in those days. Also, women didn't go out and talk to men out in public. So just this very first sentence should kind of clue us into that something is happening here that Luke, was, Luke thought was important enough and interesting enough to actually write down about what Jesus was doing. So we picture this, Jesus walking with these 12 disciples at the very least, and they're on their way and he comes to the village and Martha finds him and says, you know, come, come over to my house, come eat, come eat at my place. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting because if you think about it, who of us here would be willing to offer up our home and to host a group, a group of like 13 men for lunch today? <laughs> you know, it, we begin to think like, wait, well, there's a lot of food to prepare. And, and what if the house isn't clean? And you maybe turn to your, you know, your husband or wife and you're like, is it clean? Is it ready? Is it ready to host that many people? Like we're not ready for a party. But Martha says, you know, he finds she finds him. You know, there's no cell phones. It's not like Jesus called her and was like, hey, I'm coming over. No, no. Martha finds him in the village, and she's like, come to my place. Come over and 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 come on, come on over to eat with us. Um, there's, you know, it's it's very kind of sudden, um, and you can tell that Martha really thinks that this. Jesus is special in some way, um, because otherwise she wouldn't have gone out of her way to do that, right? And so the story actually tells us that, that Martha had a sister, um, and her sister's name was Mary. Now, so we, we were introduced to these two different sisters, right? One of them, she's introduced as seeing Jesus and inviting him to, his, to her house, along with her, the disciples, and, and she's ready to host them. And then the other is described as doing what? She's sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. And I think this is really interesting that Luke also makes sure that he says, not just Martha had a sister named Mary and she was at home. No, it was Martha had a sister named Mary and she was sitting at the Lord's feet. And there's something, there's something to be said about this because, because back in those days to say that you were sitting at someone's feet, it, it kind of had a connotation. And it really had the connotation of being a disciple. So rabbis back in those days, they would have disciples just like Jesus did. And, and the position that they would take towards the rabbi always was that they would sit at their feet and learn from them. It's not just saying that she was actually sitting at his feet, but like it's that stance that she had towards Jesus. Now, this is also kind of countercultural because, first of all, we don't have any record of women ever being disciples to any rabbis. But Mary is described as sitting at Jesus' feet. And I think that's really important. Now, earlier, um, Jesus had actually talked about what it meant to be a disciple. 
in the in the in the previous chapter in Luke chapter nine, um, Luke chapter nine has a, a, like a section where Jesus is talking about being a disciple. Can we get to the next slide? And uh, so Luke chapter nine, verse starting at verse twenty-two. Uh, this is Jesus speaking. He says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And he continues, he says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. He says, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Um, so I always struggled with this section. Because being a disciple is like, it's difficult, it sounds dangerous, it doesn't sound like something that's easy or something that someone can just make a decision on like overnight. This it seems like a big deal. Right? Take up your cross. You have to be willing to do that. You have to be willing to accept the fact that the same thing that might happen to Jesus might happen to you. Um, and at the very end, he says this thing where some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. And I always struggle with that particular section as well because it's like, what are you talking about? Right? And, I, and I think just a few Sabbaths ago, uh, Pastor Choi was talking about the Sermon on the Mount and the Kingdom of God. And the thing is, Jesus sees the Kingdom of God as being established when he was here on earth, as he was teaching people. You know, as he begins to teach people, he says, he's blessed are the peacemakers. Right? He begins the Beatitudes. He, he begins the Sermon on the Mount. And he, and he starts talking about this kingdom that you can't really see, but it's already here, and it's already beginning, it's already being established. And yet at the same time, he also talks about the kingdom as something that's still to come. And so, and so I want us to really think about this as, as we think about following Jesus, and as we think about being a disciple, it, it's, 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 not, it's not an escapist theology. What I mean by that is, like, he's not saying just don't think about anything that's going on around you because something better is happening in the future. But rather, Jesus is saying, no, I am here now. The kingdom begins here and now. And all those good things and redemptive things and rest restoration is here now. And forgiveness of sins is here now. And transformation is here now. And yet also not yet. Because we know something better, even better than that, is coming. And so we always live kind of in this in-between, in this tension of, of there are things in the world that just don't make sense and they're not fair and they happen to us and we don't know why. Knowing that there is a God who is good, who is living, and who has come to forgive and restore us here and now. Amen. 
Um, it's it's a difficult kind of thing to, to really wrap our minds around, but this is what Jesus is teaching. And so here we are, right? So we have Mary, who's a woman, taking the stance of a of a male disciple. She's sitting at Jesus' feet. And and like I said, there's no description of her any woman being a, a disciple in the first century. So so she here she is breaking all kinds of rules, right? The first one is is that she is taking the role of a disciple, right? And and the other is Martha and Mary are both taking a risk by hosting Jesus and his disciples at their house. Because just previously, Jesus is saying, no, these people are looking for me to kill me. So it, it takes a vast amount of courage for these two women to host Jesus at their home. And not only that, but then, but then for Mary to take the position to be, to be seen as a disciple of Jesus would have been even, even perhaps even more dangerous for her to do. So, but think about what disciples are doing. They are learning from their teacher so that they can also do what the teacher is doing. So the, the following verse, if we can get to the next slide. The following verse is verse 40 where it says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, right? They had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me, right? So, so our, 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 our dear Martha suddenly finds herself alone in the prep work, all right? She's running around to make sure everything is where it belongs, right? That the trash is taken out, that there's enough settings on the table, that, that the food hasn't burnt, right? And she needs more hands. So she looks for Mary, the obvious choice. And when she finds her, she sees her sitting at Jesus' feet with the other 12 disciples. And you ask yourself the nerve that she has to do this, right? Mary should be helping. How would you feel if you invited a group that size, right? And your, and your sister, right? Or your brother decided to just go sit down and, and hang out with them instead of helping you get everything ready for them, right? It, it, it's, it's inconsiderate even by our standards. How could Mary be so inconsiderate of the stressful situation that Martha was in? Like, wasn't Mary supposed to be the co-host? And, and I could almost feel the tension in the air, you know, as Martha, uh, Martha's eyes maybe meet Mary's, and, and she gives her the look, <laughs> you know? Who here has an older sister? Marshall. <laughs> you know the look? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's the one, it's, it's that one, you know, you, you, you know what she's saying without her even saying anything. And so, so Martha locks eyes with Mary, right? And she's sitting there listening to Jesus. And suddenly Martha interrupts Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me, right? And if you can get the next slide, Jesus replies, and it, it's almost upsetting the way he responds. He says, Martha, Martha, you know, you're worried and you're upset about many things and just imagine Martha listening to this as Jesus is, turns to her and says this and, and I think, how many of us right 
uh, I came here, and, and somewhere at the back of your of your mind is this kind of like this red alert sign, you know, warning you about all the things that you should be worried about right now. Right? So stop and think about it, because many of us walk around with this little flashing red alarm light, and it never shuts off. And sometimes it gets so bad we call it anxiety. And if, if you didn't already know, younger people, my age and younger, are these days are, are showing even higher rates of anxiety than generations past. Uh, and if you think about it, I mean, we're constantly doing something. Our minds are constantly processing new information. That they're you know add that add that to you know your use of cell phones and smartphones and TV, internet, social media, radio, you know billboards when you're driving. And, and you realize that we are constantly, constantly processing things. And things, and things that enable us to use time better and more efficiently, right? They have resulted, us, have resulted in us trying to get the maximum amount of things done in 24 hours. Rest is highly valued. And some talk about it and they promote it, but we often ignore these things in favor of getting more done of making more money, doing more things. So much so that we often forget the things and the people that truly matter. So Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're upset about many things. And the thing is that sometimes it takes someone else to notice our anxious thoughts and, and actions and to stop us, right? And Jesus is here kind of like holding a mirror up to her and telling her exactly what he sees. And it must have cut through to her, right? As is often the case when Jesus speaks, she was worried and she was upset. Worried about being a good host and upset that her sister was not helping and she was sitting instead with the disciples. So I ask you, were, were Martha's feelings and actions valid? Yes. They, they are even more now in modern day. But I think, I think any of us in our right minds might feel anxious and upset if we were in that situation. I think many of us might even resent Jesus' response. Right? In the following verse, the following slide, Jesus continues his response to Martha. and says, But few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it won't be taken away from her. Now, it sounds very wise, but maybe not so practical. Right? I mean, yeah, Jesus can say that because he, he's not having to host anyone. He's not serving anyone, right? Martha must have felt like Jesus was just being inconsiderate of her. How could he say that? I mean, think about it. You'd, you'd likely feel the same way. How, how can he say that? It makes no sense. Has Jesus never hosted anyone? Did his family not host anyone when he was growing up? No, I highly doubt that. But his response here is almost disturbing. It, 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 it almost brings more anxiety with it. How can he say that only one thing is needed and that Mary had chosen the better? Isn't that just irritating? It kind of 
rubs you the wrong way. Not only is he is he speaking to her this way in front of everyone, right? Everyone is present, but he now begins to defend her sister and taking her side. You know, and that that really should bug you. I mean, let's say you're having a disagreement with with one of your siblings. You know, I I know that happens. And and then let's say that that Jesus takes your brother or your sister's side of the argument. Yeah, would you be humble enough to recognize that maybe, just maybe, you're the one that is wrong. See, we, we like to be right. We love to be right. In fact, it's, it's so hard for us to, to not be right that, that we, we basically can convince ourselves that we're always right. We can never be wrong. And I guess the question is, is Jesus perhaps speaking to us right now? Is he possibly telling us that what we see as reality actually isn't true? And if he is, are we being stubborn about it? Will we fight him on it? We're not told if Martha responded to Jesus. But we're told that Mary chose what is better. And I guess I want to shift perspective a little bit. Because, because Mary has apparently done the better thing. Right? So, so what, has, what has Mary chosen? Right? Like I said, frankly, she's chosen to be a disciple of Jesus. That's it. She sits down and takes in what, she, what he's teaching. Mary has taken the risk of being seen as one of his disciples, knowing that Jesus is headed towards dying. Now, like I said, being around Jesus was dangerous. And, and we have stories of, of, of Christians who suffered because of that. And we have the book of Acts to, to describe it all to us, to be honest. So, so why did Mary choose what she chose? And, and, and furthermore, why did Martha choose what she chose? And I think when it comes down to it, God cares about the motives, right? Why do you do what you do? Not that you simply do it, right? So you came to church today. You're here. You're sitting here. Why did you do that? You keep the Sabbath. Why do you do that? Right? You, you say you love Jesus. Why do, you, why do you love him? Do your actions say that your love is true? You give tithes and offerings. Why do you do that? Why is the most important story, important part and question of the story? So Martha may have chosen what she chose because she wanted to be a good host, right? She wanted to feel capable and, and maybe even proud that she had hosted Jesus at her house and that she had served him. Is the motivation wrong? No. Most of us want to be good hosts. So what's the issue? And when I look at it, I think maybe the issue is that Martha may not have recognized Jesus for who he truly was. God's living word become human to show us God's true character. Or maybe she knew that, she had recognized that, which is why she invited him. But then she gets caught up in, in her own desires to do such a good job that she forgot who and what was important. It's important to note 
that the word used to describe Martha in the story as distracted also has a connotation of being drawn away. So Martha wasn't simply just not paying attention, right? But rather she found herself drawn away from Jesus. And I think she was drawn away not just physically, but mentally and spiritually as well. Now when we think about it, we, we might have come to church today because we believe in Jesus being the Son of God. But then we might spend the whole time here and completely miss his presence. And that's very possible. Especially with how many things some of us here, some of you here, do on a weekly basis. Right? We have our PA people, right? Our deacons, our elders, our pastor, our greeters, our potluck crew, our teachers, the people that take care of the grounds. And you know it's happened to you, right? You're so busy trying to do such a great job, which you do, but then you go home after the service and it feels like, did I even see Jesus today? Was your intent wrong? No. Did you miss the most important part? Probably yes. What Martha was lacking was the ability to be present with Jesus. Mary, on the other hand, is present. She knows that this Jesus is more than a simple teacher or rabbi, and this Jesus was the living word of God, the source of life and light in the entire universe. This Jesus was the embodiment of God's grace towards all people, toward her. And she responds appropriately to this graceful presence. So Mary prioritized being present with Jesus. Can we be present with him today, right now? Can, can you shut out your busy thoughts right now and be present in this moment with the people you're sitting with? Can you be present and rest in God's presence here with us today? His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us, not God up in heaven somewhere, not God who oversees from far away. No, God with us means he's right here. Jesus said, wherever there are two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am with you also. Amen. So I, re I repeat this phrase a lot, I think, because I think that one of my biggest flaws is that I rarely, if ever, succeed in acknowledging his presence through the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, to be honest, even talking about the Holy Spirit makes us uncomfortable. It's like, God's too close. He's too close for me to be comfortable. He should stay up in heaven. Right? We don't know what to do with it. And yet, we can't be Christians without the Spirit. So, we can't be restored without the redeeming activity of the Spirit in our lives. And the world cannot be restored without the redeeming activity of the Spirit through us. So the good news isn't simply that Jesus died for your sins, right? The good news encompasses the redemption of the world, setting things right, loving mercy and justice and goodness. That's what Jesus taught. Amen. That's what the prophets taught. That's what God's heart is saying to us now. But we tend to be pessimists, right? And we, we don't believe the Spirit's power. 
and sometimes we become like those that Paul warned Timothy about in 2 Timothy, uh, where he says that they'll be having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So I pray that the Spirit of God pinches us right now to pay attention. <laughs> well, maybe it's too much to ask. I don't know. He's too gracious and loving. I don't know if that's what he would do. But, but I, hope, I, hope, I hope that happens. I hope you become aware and present with God. Um, it happened to me once and many times after that. And, and all I'm saying is that it, it, it can transform your life. And I know that, that sometimes I can be a Martha too. Actually, 99% of the time, I'm Martha. <laughs> you know, I get drawn away from the heart of God from fully experiencing his nearness and grace and love, and I too become a pessimist and I become resentful. It's too easy to look around us and, and let, let, let stuff dictate our spiritual stance towards God. So I pray for wonder, I pray for awe to be restored in our souls. So that when we pray, we don't sound like the saddest people on earth. I, I would like for all of us to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Something that brings joy, right? Even in the midst of great sorrow. For the Apostle Paul said, follow on the slide, in 1 Corinthians verse two, uh, chapter two, verse nine, he says, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And I would like to add that to those to whom the Spirit of God speaks, they have a clue somewhere deep down in their hearts and in their minds that this, this isn't it. This is not the end. There is something better, something unimaginably better. And we are all being redeemed and freed even as we sit in this room. God's story is one of interventions to bring redemption and to make us free. My question is, are you free? Have you been experiencing a nearness to God and a freedom beyond question? Because I really do believe that that is where the Spirit leads us to. And sometimes in the most unconventional of ways. I think that's what this story is really about. I think Mary understood something. She understood what truly mattered. Jesus was in their living room. Mary recognized Jesus as the creator of everything. The one from whom life flowed. If you recognize that, food is the last thing you're thinking about. There is no way, I think, that any of us would be able to walk away from Jesus. And yet, we do all of the time. I think what Luke was really trying for, for, for for his community to understand 
was number one, there was no exceptions about who you can be if you want to be a disciple. Man or woman or child does not matter. And second, to be a true disciple of Jesus is to recognize God's presence and nearness in the here and now. Amen. As we're waiting for him to return. And we always live in this tension. So I want to leave, I want to leave that with you today. I, I, want, I want that to really sink in because we believe in a spirit that is not confined to walls. We believe in a God who is not confined. He says, you're going you're gonna to build me a house? Don't you know I own everything? Don't you know I can be anywhere? And I think what God really wants to tell us today is, I'm closer than your own breath. Why don't you stop and sit with me? And what better day to do that than today on the Sabbath, which is about God stopping what he was doing to be with you. There is no greater story. There is no greater love. There is no greater grace. You can't comprehend it. So whoever you are, whatever you're dealing with, stop. God says, I'm right here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we acknowledge your presence here in this moment today. Help us to be more present with you. Help us in those moments when we feel like you're so far away to know that you're nearer to us than our own heartbeats. Lord, help us to understand what it means to follow you. Help us to allow you to reflect on us, to allow you to tell us what you see in our souls and for us to be humble enough to change it. Father, we pause today to acknowledge you, the creator of all things, and the one who loves unconditionally. We thank you for your presence and your love and your blessings, even while we experience darkness in our lives. We praise your name for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.